Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Welcome back to the Elite HRV Podcast. I'm Jeff Fry, your host for today's episode. And with me today is a returning guest, someone with whom many of you might be familiar. His name is Don Moxley. Welcome back to the show, Don. Thanks, Jeff. I'm excited to be back. Yeah, we've got a real treat for everyone today. Don's been up to a lot of a lot of really interesting things since we spoke with him last. And today's episode will be all about sort of unpacking all of that, uh, at least a little bit. So, Don, what have you been up to over the last couple of years, actually, since we spoke last? Yeah, so it's been a it's been a, a crazy couple of years that, you know, when the last time I was on the podcast, and if that's the only connection you have, I was probably still working at Ohio State as a sports scientist doing some really cool stuff. And that's what we've talked about in the previous podcasts. Um, but along the way, um, you know, life changes and, and you have the pressures that go with it. And, uh, basically I was forced to make a decision and I made that decision to leave Ohio state. Um, you know, part of the, you know, part of the, the decision process of that, you know, what's the hassles versus the benefits. And, and, um, I had some hassles that were developing there that, that uh, there were some people that just were not excited about the work that I was doing. I, I, you know, it was a little too aggressive. Um, and, but at the same time I had some opportunities come available and it, this was, this was very difficult for me, Jeff, because, you know, I'm an Ohio state alum. My daughter was on a lacrosse team there. My brothers have been there. I mean, you know, I, I, my daughter, my daughter was playing the cross there and, and for her senior day, which got canceled because of COVID, I wrote something for, and, and our family, uh, my brothers, our kids and our wives, you know, we have nine degrees from Ohio state and, and now 20 varsity letters. Um, so I, I struggled with why is this not working out? Um, and, um, along the way I started to think about what it is that I do, who am I, and started to redefine some things, which has created some really interesting opportunities for me. Yeah, some really interesting opportunities, some that you've kind of told me about in the in the background. And I want to dive into that. So what was that? Um, what, what did you do immediately after um, after leaving Ohio State? So while while I was at Ohio State doing the HRV work, um, we, you know, we were doing elite enough work that I was I had some uh, coaches and I had some some sports scientists reaching out, asking questions about what do we do? How do we do things? And one of the questions that came that, and it came on a fairly consistent basis is what do you know about cannabis? And, um, and my answer was, you know, I don't know anything about it as it relates to HRV. Uh, I may or may not have used it in my childhood. Um, but, um, but I, you know, I said, you know, my guys are NCAA athletes. We test for that. And some of these people were coming from the pros and they said, listen, you need to understand this. There's something going on there. And ironically, I had a really good friend. I have a very good friend that I worked with at a wearables company out West in Albuquerque that we both exited this company about the same time. He went into cannabis. This guy's a, a real smart uh, Stanford NBA guy. 
um, he went into cannabis up in Oregon and I, this is when I went to Ohio state and we stayed in touch. And the more I looked at this, the more I said, man, I, I need to understand this. Well, Carlos, my friend wound up being the COO of a large cannabis investment group. And he reached out and says, listen, I need someone down here in Florida. Uh, we have a company down here that I need. I, we want to build a scientific brand, a medical brand. And he says, I think you'd be perfect for it. And um, so, again, while I was in that personal transition of redefining how I see myself, you know, I wound up making that decision to uh, leave OSU and uh, go down and, for lack of a better term, sell weed in South Florida. <laughs> That's great. And and now there's so many, like, misconceptions, um, even still, about, uh, you know, uh, cannabis and cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system in general. Do you think we could um, quickly sort of unpack a little bit of that and, 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 and what you learned in that whole process? Yeah, it's the, the stigma is, is preventing a tremendous amount of compassionate use of herbal medicine. Um, and I didn't realize how strong this was until I got into the market. So, so obviously my, 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 my specialty when I was at OSU was helping athletes recover that we identified. And if you listen to any of the old podcasts, you'll notice that we identified that this elite level, the determining factor of an, of an athlete to succeed was their ability to recover. Um, you know, when you, there's skills, there's conditioning, there's all those things, but you know, at, at an elite level skills and conditioning become equal with your competition and the determining factor is recovery. And, and frankly, there were some kids that just were not recovering and we couldn't, we couldn't figure out why. Um, so I, I go into this industry and, and Jeff, I don't know when you learned about it, but I have been teaching the exercise sciences for 35 years, for 25 of the last 35 years, I've been in the front of a classroom teaching the exercise sciences of some kind. Mm -hmm. With that, there was a term that I never heard of until I went into the cannabis business. And that is part of your nervous system that's called the endocannabinoid system. Mm -hmm. um, and, and anytime you have a system, there's usually, there's at least three parts that there's, there's a receptor. So there's part of your system that, that, that it bonds to a ligand, which is, you know, a, like a, a molecule that activates that receptor. And then there's enzymes that either activate the ligand or deactivate it. And that's what makes a system. And this endocannabinoid system. So the receptors that we have identified at this point are CB1 and CB2. Uh, they're in different places. Your CB1 tend to be mainly on your brainstem. Um, CB2 are out in the periphery and in your immune system. Um, so these are CB1, cannabinoid receptor 1, cannabinoid receptor 2. When we exercise, we create an endocannabinoid. Uh, so that is a chemical product that's created in your body during exercise that's called anandamide. Um, anandamide will bond to both of these, and there are significant positive effects that come from this. In fact, there's significant negative effects from not doing this enough. And, 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 and now that I've been in it, frankly, I think endocannabinoid development and response should be chapter two of exercise 101. That if, wow. if, if you're teaching someone the value of exercise, uh, you, I think you can set cardiovascular benefit and strength and all those other things aside. 
the role of movement and exercise uh, is is the is the trigger is what's driven by the endocannabinoid system. Um, so this is something I'd never even heard of, and I've you know I've read I've read hundreds of textbooks, and it, it wasn't until I dove headfirst into the pot pool um, that you start to see this and learn about this, and it and it's just a shame because. Um, there are there are huge benefits, and we're starting to see it emerge. I think what, you know, you and I are talking right now. You're in Washington, which is now a fully rec legal state. I'm in Ohio, which is a medical state. You know, we're recording this in December of 2020. Um, I've got a feeling that with a change of administration that's coming in January, there's probably going to be a change in federal classification of cannabis. Um, you know, we've all we've already got the hemp loopholes where one of the cannabinoids that come out, CBD, cannabidiol, is, is, is now traveling all over the country across state lines. Um, you know, it's only a matter of time until tetrahydrocannabidiol does that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a unique time, but there's, there's just a huge amount of, of research, huge amount of research that supports the, 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 uh, the consumption and utilization of the the extracts of the cannabis plant absolutely and even just at a personal level my uh little um cousin um she's very young she was i think five or six at the time that she was uh, diagnosed with epilepsy Mm -hmm. and uh their parents tried a lot of different things but um the thing that that has worked uh, wonders is um you know the cbd CBD. and um and i think the more that things like that happen with people, the more they're going to be turned on to the fact that, you know, CBD is not THC and CBD has tremendous, uh, can can be tremendously powerful for people with really serious conditions. Right. And Jeff, we're just scraping the surface. Okay. So, you know, part of the challenge, listen, part of the challenge is, is that when we, when we, when we make the product legal, medical legal in a state, we legalize it on the back of epileptics and cancer patients. Um, it, in the market, it immediately becomes an adult use rec market. Um, the growing and purchasing is mainly for adult use rec use. Now, when we start taking a look at the effect of trauma and the management of trauma, and this is where it ties back to HRV and understanding uh, uh, autonomic sympathetic parasympathetic response, it's significant. There's a, there's a great paper that I came across that takes a look at fear conditioning in mice. So they took mice and they fear conditioned them, and then they took their amygdalas, which is the part of the brain that detects fear. And what they see is that in fear conditioning, there's a drop of anandamide, that endocannabinoid, there's a drop of that anandamide in the amygdala. So, you know, one of the things that we understand about trauma is the development of hypervigilance um, and just the, the exhaustion that comes from that hypervigilance. And so many of the things that we do when someone has a low RMSSD, when they have a very high LF signal, um, is we help them lower that sympathetic drive. And, and damn it, cannabis helps. Um, yeah. It is a significant tool, let, let alone the cannabinoids. You know, there's over 400 uh, what's called advanced pharmaceutical ingredients. When you start looking at the terpenoids, the terpenes that come as well, 
really, really beneficial tools. Beta-caryophylline. So beta-caryophylline is a is considered a terpene, and um, and and beta-caryophylline chemically is very, very close to a cannabinoid. But beta-caryophylline comes from places other than cannabis, so it's not considered a cannabinoid. But when you look at beta-caryophylline, it's anti-inflammatory, it's pain, it's pain management uh, effects. You know, it's, it's, you know, the terpenes, whether it's the myrcene or the beta-caryophylline or the uh, limonene or the, you know, any, you know, across the board, there's 400 different products. The challenge, the challenge is that the volumes of those uh, APIs are not necessarily predictable grow to grow. Um, so there's a challenge there. You know, I personally, I personally don't think you smoke medicine. Um, mm-hmm. now, but I, but I, listen, I, I say that, but I'm gonna take it back. Listen, I, if, if, if you are struggling with post-traumatic stress, if you're struggling with some of these things and, and, and smoking is the way you've learned to manage this, God love you. Um, and I wouldn't suggest changing anything. You know, there's always that risk benefit thing that you have to work towards. Sure. But I, but I also think there is a lot of opportunity for people to take a look at cannabis extracts used strategically as um, wellness tools. Yeah, you, you just you can't ignore it. Absolutely. Well, and th- I think that's so great. And I, so, what it sounds like to me as you're you're talking about it, it uh, when you moved on from Ohio State, it sounds like you became a real expert um, educator in the realm of uh, you know, cannabinoids and cannabis, um, uh, in general. And it, that seems to be the, the, you know, kind of that role that you moved into is, is that, is that a fair summation? Yeah. I, the term expert always makes me nervous. Um, sure, sure. I have a joke about that, but I'm, a, I, we'll keep it to ourselves right now. But, um, actually I should probably tell it. My dad always used to say that X, X is, is in algebra is the unknown and uh. a spurt and a spurt is a drip of water under pressure. So an expert's an unknown drip under pressure. Um, <laughs> so every time someone uses that term, my dad's my dad's appears in the back of my brain. Sure, um, but um, but so listen, an educator maybe is is a better term. That's that's who I am at my core. Um, sure. I want to understand. Um, I will never make a recommendation to someone without having a keen understanding of how and why it works and whether it works. Um, so, you know, that was the role with cannabis, you know, getting into this place, you know, wh- when I talk about cannabis only scratching the surface, it's very difficult to go into the market when, when cannabis grows, these cannabinoids come in what's called their acid form. It's not CBD and THC, it's CBDA. So it's cannabidolytic acid and it's tetrahydrocannabidolytic acid. And the, when those molecules are what's called decarboxylated, meaning they're heated, they throw off a, 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 a they throw off a, a carboxyl group. That's when they become active. Well, the inactive, where they become intoxicated, particularly for THC, the inactive version of this, the acid form, has tremendous therapeutic values. So the un, the, the non decarboxylated version can be very beneficial. It's just really hard to find this because the people that extract cannabinoids are typically extracting for the adult use market. So they're getting decarboxylated in the process. 
So, you know, they, they use different processes, whether it's ethanol or supercritical CO2. They, they extract those molecules from the plant. Um, they then normally uh, decarboxylate them. They bake them. Um, and then they go ahead and extract the, and the separated into, into more refined sellable products. You know what? I don't, I don't know of a reason to decarboxylate CBD right now. I think it's a better product in its acid form. Um, now the challenge is the, to, to purchase it, it's, it's about seven times more in its acid form, which is just a market driven relationship. Um, you know, something that requires less work should cost less, but there's just such an overflow of CBD in the market that it's just, you know, the prices of it have bottomed out. Um, so again, it's little things like this that we're just, we're just scraping the surface on. Um, how do you integrate it? How do you use it? And, you know, there's, you know, we're starting to see, I actually work with a group out of Portland, uh, Mendy, M-E-N-D-I, the Mendy Co. And they have a line of, uh, cannabis derived athletic recovery products, everything from CBD oils to massage oils. Um, and so this is a company, you know, Rachel Rapino and, and her team, these are ex professional athletes that are driving the development of products for athletes. Um, so it's pretty cool that we're starting to see this emerge. You know, that's coming out of Portland, which is, you know, a real cutting edge kind of a city. Um, but, um, but you know, this is uh, this is the exciting part about that. But back to your point, you know, at my heart, I guess I am an educator, and I spend a lot of time digging in to understand how and why things work. And if they do, I'll talk about them. Absolutely, and I know you've moved into uh, an educator role at, at another uh, company, and I want to talk about that a lot. Um, but before we do move on to that, I was hoping maybe we could just uh, kind of take a step back and, and think about all you said in regards to uh, cannabis and, and, and take into consideration our audience and maybe come up with a few takeaways for a few different audience members. The first one you already mentioned is some of those athletes, uh, even elite athletes. Um, what sort of a takeaway for them? Is it looking into this, this Mendico? Um, well, the, the general, listen, I think Mendy, Mendy does a really good, they've got a really good product line, uh, you know, full, full transparency. I'm their science advisor. So I, I participate in this a lot. Um, but at the same time, so the, the takeaways are, are number one, you have to proceed with caution and, and from this standpoint. I can go out and change the oil in my car, put it in the bottles, call it CBD, and no one will know the difference. So there's, so there's very, so, the, so since the federal government has taken a standoff position of this, there's no standards on purity, on quality, on things like that. So right. when you, when you're at the flea market or with, if you're at the store and it says CBD, uh, buyer beware, number one. Number right. two, become an educated buyer. So how do you deal with this? Well, every quality product should have a, a, a QR code on it that you can trace it back to its uh, certificate of analysis. Um, now, there's some junk in the market. There's some people that are just throwing QR codes on. Just because you see a QR code doesn't mean this product has gone through it. You've got you've to do the, the work and make sure that you're getting it from a reputable source. Um, that's, that's typically not my buddy down the street. Mm -hmm. Um, there's someone that has a financial interest in this. And, and the fact is 
in a in a in a quality product relationship, they you should be able to trace what's in that bottle back to its origin. Um, and and so so buyer beware. That's one of the things. Um, sure. But the second thing is is proceed with the fact that don't fear this product embrace this product. There's a lot that there's a lot that can come from it. And if you're dealing with anxiety, if you're dealing, think about it, listen, if you're listening to the elite HRV podcast, you've probably got an understanding of autonomic nervous system, sympathetic, parasympathetic. Um, the fact that when your HRV drops, you're very sympathetic. You've got anxiety. This can come from pain. This can come from a lot of things. Um, Cannabis extracts can be a wonderful tool for managing that. Um, you know, I talked about that mouse study and, and um, what we know is that CBD does not bond to either the CB1 or CB2 receptor. But what CBD does is that when anandamide is in the system, it keeps it from breaking down. Uh, it slows the breakdown of anandamide. Which right. is which is beneficial. So when you do the exercise and you create the anandamide and you're getting the effect of that, CBD slows that down. So if you're struggling with sleep problems, if you're struggling with pain, if you're struggling with anxiety, you should. I, my recommendation, one of my first recommendations, you need to explore uh, integrating cannabis extracts into your life. Um, you can do it with extracted oils through what's called tinctures. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do this, you know, transdermal application of this stuff is phenomenal. You know, I'll be, I'll be glad when the regulation, what we know is that CBD is good. Uh, a lot of CBD with a little THC is even better. Um, so, um, so these can be, and if you live in a, if you live in a, in a rec legal state, or if you live in a medical state and you have your license, you're probably starting to see this pop up in your dispensaries. This, this will continue to expand. Um, but, um, it's, a listen, it's a, it's a legit, the science is legit. Uh, there's no two ways about it. And unfortunately, and this is again, with my personal, you know, I, I, I establish what I call a personal mission. My, my mission is to uh, alleviate pain, alleviate suffering, and contribute to the betterment of well people. Instead of defining myself by what I do, I'm an exercise physiologist or I'm a sports scientist, I, I've, I define myself by my mission now. And, and that, that definition has helped me open up my, my, my perspective. Um, I am frankly, I am an incredible pragmatist when it comes to supplementation. I think 90%, 99% of what's out there on the market that people are paying for has nothing more, has no more value than placebo effect. Um, there, there just isn't a physiological benefit that comes from it. Um, but you know what? I think cannabis is legit. I've seen it work in a lot of people. Um, I've, uh, the, the evidence is, is powerful. So I think those are the two things. Um, don't be afraid of it, uh, but buyer beware when you take a look at purchasing your products. Yeah, I'd like to reiterate that. Um, be proceed with caution, right? Um, it, but but by all means proceed. Um, yes. Uh, and and I think that's uh, I think that's a great message. And I think potentially a lot of our audience will be privy to um, a lot of this in terms of thinking about uh, cannabis in a little bit more of a sophisticated way. 
Um, but I, I, I would, uh, I would just echo what Don said here. And, uh, if you're still, if you still got your, um, your, your radar or, uh, against it, if you still have, um, have your, uh, alarm bells ringing whenever that, 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 um, name is even mentioned, um, then I, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, encourage you to to give that a second thought so well and um, and jeff let's 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 give them a reference so there is a website that that neither of us have anything to do with it's called projectcbd.org okay um it is it is very well done there is a ton of information there if you have questions that's the first place i'd start um now again (laughs) you know you never know on the internet well, you know, this is a site that I refer to that what you'll see is most of the articles are well-referenced. Um, there is, and, and they do a nice job. So go, you know, if you've got a question, go to projectcbd.org. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll definitely include a link to that in the show notes. Um, and now I think I would like to um, piggyback on what you were saying about being an educator and defining your own personal mission, because I think that has carried seamlessly into what you're doing now. Um, and I'm going to let you kind of tell our audience about that, uh, another transition that you had, um, yeah. if, if you would. Yeah, that's so, so I, I'm, I'm working in this cannabis space. Um, and back, you know, this was a couple months before COVID really took hold. So it's probably December, January, I get a call from a friend of mine that I worked with in Florida and he says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm looking for projects right now. Um, and, um, he said, well, I've got something that you should take a look at. Um, and, uh, so he, he puts it on my table and and it's a company out of, uh, Austria and it's called longevity labs and longevity labs uh, founded by a guy, by one of the founders, a guy by the name of Dr. Frank Medeo, who is a leading researcher in the field of a molecule called polyamines. Um, and one of the polyamines that is very beneficial, they found is called spermidine. And when we take a look at the spermidine molecule, this molecule is in every cell of your body, men, women, animals, plants. Um, what we see in humans is that Spermidine declines with age. So a, 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 every decade of life, we see a drop in cellular spermidine levels. But what we see is that people who live long, um, long uh, they tend to have spermidine levels. So a 90-year-old will have a spermidine level similar to a 40-year-old. So, wow. so, so spermidine degradation tends to align with, with aging. Um, spermidine can be supplemented and increased, uh, that, that, uh, the company that I'm working with longevity labs, we have a process for extracting spermidine from wheat germ. Uh, we're working with wheat germ that comes from central Europe. Uh, but, um, but we've gotten to the point to where, you know, there's spermidine in a lot of different foods, uh, but like cannabis and like cannabinoids and, and some of these terpenoids, Depending on how it's grown, the situation, the, the the particular components may be more or less. So we have a really good process for uh, identifying spermidine-rich wheat, uh, moving this through an extraction process, and finishing up a f- uh, finished product that's rich in spermidine that's been naturally extracted. Right. I mean, and that's really interesting. And when 
for our listeners, when Don told me that he's been researching um, an agent that can aid in the upregulation of autophagy, which we'll, we'll we'll talk about in a second, I just want to say I was interest like instantly interested um given my own personal interest in in fasting and ketogenic diets and and longevity and 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 we'll tie all those in in a second but um don maybe we can start by um describing uh one of the the primary means by which uh spermidine works which is that autophagy autophagy that i uh, just mentioned exactly what what is autophagy and, and why should we care about it so autophagy is defined as a process it's the cellular it's a cellular renewal or a cellular cleaning it is autophagy from the latin is self-eating autophagy self-eating um and, and what we have found is that, so autophagy is important enough that there have been two Nobel Prizes awarded for it, uh, the last of which was in 2016. Um, and so we're talking, again, we're in one of these sciences that's relatively cutting edge. Uh, but what we see is that autophagy is a process that is typically triggered through calorie restriction. So So part of the evolutionary response to to uh, starvation or lack of, of nutrients is the, the cell looks inside itself and says, hey, are there parts in here that are no longer benefiting our, 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 our growth and, and life anymore? And so with calorie restriction, you trigger this process of autophagy. The cell looks internally and there will be proteins that may not be functional anymore. There may be organelles. And um, through a process, through the process of autophagy, these intracellular parts are digested with uh, the, res- with the, re- with the um, remnants uh, coming back into circulation to either be used for energy or protein development or things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think of it sort of like a uh, spring cleaning of sorts, you know, what would your room or your home or whatever it is that you, you know, clean periodically, what would it look like if you never did any sort of deep, deep clean, right? Right. Um, And the fact of the matter is, you know, uh, even if you keep it relatively uh, uh, clean or relatively um, tidy is probably a better word for it. Um, there's still going to be grime. There's still going to be uh, dust. There's still going to be, you know, um, stuff all over the place in the, in the nooks and crannies, so to speak, that are going to build up if you, if you never do that deep cleaning. And so that's, is that a d- decent analogy for yeah, autophagy? I, in the well, and, and what's funny about the, about your analogy, we actually used one in our company in the fact that, if, uh, you know, we, we use the, the, the analogy of, uh, of someone living in a cabin in the woods and, um, you know, they, they go out and they gather firewood and they do things and they put it in their house, but all of a sudden there's a bad snow, um, and they can't get out you can't go get firewood. So what, what do you do? Well, you look around the house and you find the things you don't need anymore. So there's this old chair over there that's been broken. So we, we Mm. burn that for energy. Or if I need something to fix a, a part of a cabinet, I go find the piece from something else that I'm not using and I fix it. Um, so that is, you know, it's, it's funny that we use the clean house analogy and, and the, the benefit of that, you know, there's two parts to that. The benefit of that is when we look at immunity, um, immunity looks like it is tagged very tightly to autophagy. So there is a huge immune benefit that comes with autophagy. And, and the reason this is an issue is that we live in an energy toxic environment. We, we now have energy available all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. so there's just a lot of people that never have to, uh, 
end up in a calorie restriction event. So this is the reason fasting and intermittent fasting has a value. It's the value, frankly, isn't weight loss. The value is the improved of the metabolic process at a cellular level. Um, and, and so spermidine, what it does is spermidine is one of the autophagy triggers. Um, so mm-hmm. higher spermidine levels, uh, blocks a protein called EP 300. This eventually leads to, uh, an uptick in autophagy. Right. That's so fascinating. And, uh, I, I think people who maybe are like clean freaks, they can, they can be really attracted to this because it's really just this cl- kind of cleansing of the cell, this sort mm-hmm. of um, this sort of, uh, recycling of these nutrients that are really just kind of these proteins that are really just sort of like sitting around, um, taking up empty space and, you know, making the cell more inefficient in a way. And, um, yeah. 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 I mean, when your cell, when your cells building protein, so, so our DNA tells, you know, the ribosome to build a protein. Well, every once in a while, something gets flicked wrong. I mean, one of the, one of the amino acids is not in there. It's not correct. So the protein is no longer functional. So if we don't digest that, it just sits there. Um, you know, organelles, when we take a look at the role of mitochondria, mitochondria wear out. Um, and there's times when we, when they just need to be digested and cleaned up out of the cell, which leads to the, the, the production of healthier mitochondria. So these are all benefactors of autophagy. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you mentioned something earlier that I definitely want to hover on for for a good while, and that's its role in immunity. But but real quick before we do that, uh, I was I did have a question about um, the spermidine supplementation and what folks can expect when taking it. Can they? Will do you think they'll be able to to feel anything? Um, yeah, you know, that's when like they take it? that's like the million dollar question right now, Jeff. It, um, yep. Well, the, the challenge the challenge is this. So so we have we we have not been able to autophagy is not the easiest thing to measure. It is in sure. fact it's very difficult to measure. Um, but we know it's beneficial. We know calorie restriction is the only treatment that goes across the animal kingdom. This runs from baker's yeast to fruit flies to worms all the way up that the that, that, that calorie restriction in extends life. But you can't starve yourself to immortality. So, Absolutely. you know, what is, the, what, is the, what is the middle ground? And in fact, I was in a long email exchange with a doctor this morning um, because our body likes cycles. We like sympathetic, parasympathetic. We like day and night. And, and when these cycles are out of sorts, there tends to be illness associated with them. Well, at a cellular level, we have this anabolic catabolic cycle that goes on. Um, and, and, uh, up until now, personally, this is my, my point of view. All we have focused on is the anabolism is the building. Um, you know, if you haven't heard, there's a molecule in your cell that's called mTOR, mechanistic target of rapamycin. It's a protein that senses nutrients and triggers protein production. Okay, so mTOR is an important anabolic molecule. Uh, when you hear people talking about diets where you eat every two hours and things like this, you're typically feeding mTOR. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the opposite of that, so the, the opposite side of that cycle is is catabolism. And, and catabolism or, or when we're autophagy, you know, one of the internal cues to this is an enzyme called, uh, it's a protein called AMPK, uh, AMP kinase. 
so when you're exercising or moving and you're utilizing energy there when you're the energy comes from a molecule called ATP adenosine triphosphate uh, when we break a phosphate off of that we get adenosine diphosphate we break another one off we get adenosine monophosphate and so all of that goes to energy um, but when the cell senses a, a differential between AMP, AMP and ATP, uh, you see the trigger of AMP kinase to start the synthesis, the resynthesis of ATP. So the cell's saying, hey, we're burning a lot of energy here. Maybe we need to get start to build it back up. Well, high AMPK will inhibit mTOR. So the body doesn't like to be, it doesn't, it, you know, you, know you, you can't, it's one of the reasons watching TV at night. If I'm getting blue light stimulation at night, and it's not daylight, there, there's a problem. Well, this is this is that challenge that we go back and forth. So AMPK is a an autophagy trigger. It's saying, hey, let's go ahead and clean these cells up and and um and make sure that everything's going on here that, that can be done to to be as efficient as we can. Right. So the the way I, I think of it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I just think of this as sort of a balancing agent in sort of our modern world, you know, given all the things wrong with our modern world, you know, w- uh, along with all the things that are right about it. But we have an imbalance, right? We have an imbalance of, of energy. We have uh, yeah. energy toxicity, as you mentioned. And it's not to, that's not to say that energy is a bad thing. By all means, it's a great thing. We need it to survive. And it's not to say that uh, a lack of energy is always a good thing because you know lack of energy could lead to death, right? right. But we do have an imbalance and um, agents like this or uh, protocols like calorie restriction or ketogenic diets or just intermittent fasting, these are all tools in our toolbox, so to speak, of ways that we can work to bring that energy balance a little bit more in favor of balance rather than, you know, uh, t- toxicity in, um, in the excess. Right. Yeah. That I, listen, I, I, I have a, a personal modality that I talk about. I think, you know, I, I talk about the fact that our DNA is millions of years old, certainly hundreds of thousands since there's been a change in, in mammalian DNA, a significant, um, and, we have now gone through the agriculture. We've gone through, you know, agricultural revolution, the me- me- uh, mechanical revolution, the technological revolution, which all have had an impact on how our DNA functions. Um, mm-hmm. That we 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 have we that that while while there's still starvation, there is energy available almost everywhere, particularly for the people probably listening to a podcast. Um, you know, if if you don't have energy, I'm not sure you'll be listening to this. Um, but, um, but this is part of the challenge and the, and at, for me, you know, I recognize the value of intermittent fasting. I, in, I recognize the value of ketogenic dieting. I always looked at ketogenics as the production of ketones, you know, in the role of beta hydroxybutyrate as a trigger. Um, and, and certainly these, these go hand in hand. But at the same time, I want to understand why, why, you know, what is it about ketogenics other than weight loss? Um, Cause you know, mm-hmm. we, we spend so much time worrying about the damn scale. Um, and, and frankly, the scale is not a health indicator. Um, and, you know, we have to take a look at, okay, what are the processes that are, that are disrupting us from our ability, our DNA's ability to provide longevity and, and energy toxicity, is certainly one of them. Right. Now, um, 
one thing I wanted to mention about that is uh, go back to going back to calorie restriction. Um, so I, I I was interested in this um, some years ago. So the the research may be a little bit updated in 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 this regard. But my impression was that um, you know a significant portion of your life devoting a significant portion of your life. Uh, to calorie restriction, so literally going hungry, you know, the vast majority of the time would produce in, you know, uh, statistically would produce maybe a couple of years of, um, you know, added life. Um, uh, is that a, is that a oversimplification? Well, no, I don't think it's an oversimplification, but I think it, 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 it deserves uh, an addition. And and so when we start talking about longevity, I think it's important to make sure and think about this, not just in lifespan, but also in health span. So when we're talking about longevity, these are typically the two values that we look at. And, and um, you know, I, I recently had a situation, I guess it, it was an honor, you know, my mother, uh, my 85-year-old mother, who uh, 15 years ago sur- survived breast cancer, um, we brought her back from Florida in, uh, in March or April and she had this bad cough and, um, and it turns out the cancer was back and, and, and I basically had to help my mother transition through life and we lost her back in September, but it was a learning experience for me because, um, personally, Jeff, I don't ever want to be attached to an oxygen tube. I, I don't want my life dictated by being attached to a piece of medical equipment. Um, do I. you know, I, 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 and I, my, my college wrestling coach, um, he passed away about two years ago. Um, he was deer hunting with his boys. Um, and they're walking through the woods, deer hunting. He has a massive coronary and falls flat on his face, dead as a brick. Um, that is a good exit in my mind, right. lifespan and health span were equal. He felt good enough. He was healthy enough to be deer hunting, which was one of his loves, which was probably arguably one of his greatest loves, um, to be deer hunting to the end of his lifespan. So when we start talking about longevity tools, uh, whether they be uh, intermittent fasting or stimulation of autophagy or any of these things, um, a lot of these will have a connection to health span maybe even more than lifespan. Absolutely. I think that's a really great clarification to make because what I'm saying with the calorie restriction is that it may add, like doing a significant amount of calorie restriction may add a few years uh, to your lifespan, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm being very specific with my language there, lifespan, not health span. But, you know, you I think one does have to, uh, I think one necessarily uh, ask the question when they think about that. Well, do I want to be hungry uh, for you know? Uh, is that really worth it? You know, to, to be hungry uh, for a, a large portion of my life just to add a few years to it, and that's not, not you know not saying anything about the quality of those years, right? Yeah, not um, just not I, eating the cheeseburger by me twenty minutes at the end of my life. Exactly yeah. right. Um, and I think most people uh, I've talked to, at least, uh, particularly people who really aren't interested in, you know, the optimization of their health, that sort of thing, a lot of them would take that cheeseburger. Um, uh, and because they don't think in terms of quality, the, the distinction between quality of life and just lifespan in general. Um, and so I, I think we necessarily have to look then to ways in which we can improve probably our lifespan, but certainly our quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, without, you know, things like calorie restriction or being hungry or, you know, losing quality of life in that equation. Well, here's, here's the, here's good news on two points. Um, Mm -hmm. that number one, once you recognize that calorie restriction is a benefit and you begin the process of, of creating a portion of your day that you say, I'm not going to consume energy during this portion. And, And so let's say you just decide I'm not going to eat after dinner. And then I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat anything all night until I wake up for breakfast. Okay. Mm -hmm. And let's say that's, let's say you get that to where it's 10 or 11 hours. Mm -hmm. Well, slowly increasing that time span. There's a couple of things that happen that, 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 and, and unfortunately I don't have the science to back up this statement I'm getting ready to make, but it's an observation. And the observation I make is that, um, in, in the absence of calorie restriction or ketogenic dieting, the enzymes that break down fats get lazy. Um, and there's, and there's a drive towards hunger, but the more you work on this, so the more ketogenic you become and the more you extend that fasting window, the less you have a hunger trigger. Okay. So you, and, and, and this is, this is a personal observation that's been backed up by a lot of other people. Um, so if, if you're worried, it is not starvation. When you're doing the process correctly, you optimize. And, you know, Jeff, I get, I've gotten to the point to where I can do an, I can do an, uh, uh, a 16, eight or an eight, I can do an 18 hour fast. And then at the end of it, go ride my bike for a couple hours at the top of zone three and feel like a million bucks without a drop off in performance. Now, if that bike ride, if for some reason I go zone four or five, I crash like I crash. It's awful. Okay. (laughs) So it's, it's critical that you stay in those fat burning, in those fat burning, you know, keep those fat burning molecules and stay away from the glycolysis. But, um, but this, 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 the, the, the idea that it is starvation, I think you take that out of your mind. It's a process for being able to manage your health span because the benefits far outweigh the hassles. Yeah, absolutely. And just for our listeners, um, maybe we can put a little bit of a finer point on that glycolysis angle, um, just just to, to clarify. So when you're going in, uh, you, you're working on a five-zone model mm-hmm. when you're talking about that. Is that right? Exactly. Right. So when you're going into zone four and zone five, um, that's uh, we're talking about you know uh, exercise intensity and increase in exercise intensity relative to zone three, right. but we're we're also talking about that increase leading to burning glucose as fuel rather than fat. Isn't that right? Yeah. So well, it's not. It's in addition to. Um, so, so in zone three, it, a, a, a well, a well predicted zone three, you'll be a, you'll be a hundred percent fat burning. Um, when you start to cross over anaerobic threshold, you start to recruit, uh, more anaerobic energy, which is sugar, which the, which the byproduct is hydrogen ion and lactate. And there's a cortisol response, but, um, it's that, it's, it's that high energy response that when you're fasted is a bitch. Um, it's, you want to avoid that. And if, you know, if you do sports like wrestling or jujitsu or things, you you know what, you've got to, you you shouldn't do those sports fasted for 18 hours. (laughs) That would be a mistake. Um, uh, so this is where you start to look at your, your calorie consumption and, and, and make up, you know, strategically based on what you have going, you know, I don't, I don't wrestle anymore. 
Um, you know, I'm 58 years old right now. I've, I've wrestled once in the last, well, once in the last three years, I went down and worked out with my nephew when he was preparing for the Florida state championships. Um, so I, you know what? I spend a lot of time in zone two and three now because that's where mitochondria are built. Um, and that is the tool that, and you know, that's the, that's one of those longevity tools. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the, that's what I'm responding to. Great. Great. So let's, um, I just wanted for, for listeners who weren't necessarily familiar with what we were talking about, I wanted to put a little bit of a finer point on that, but let's, let's go back to spermidine real quick and, and, and back to my original question of feeling differently or not. So basically, uh, what we're advocating for with spermidine is taking it much like you would a multivitamin. You're not, you're not necessarily going to feel it. Um, but it's, it's doing good things for you. Isn't that right? Yeah, some people do. Some people feel it right away. They feel uh, an uptick in energy. They feel a clarity, um, and some don't. Our challenge is, is that you know, you know. Listen, if someone's listening to this um, and they think I'm going to take this and I'm going to feel something right away, I I, I can't guarantee that. Um, what what I hear nearly a hundred percent is when people stop taking it, they feel the downturn. Um, hmm. So, and, and this is listen. This isn't unlike. Listen, uh, Jeff, if you are a seasoned intermittent faster, if you've got a lot of your uh, physiological processes locked in to where you recognize the value of autophagy and you're doing it naturally, you know what? You may not feel this for, for, for 30, 60 days. It may take a while. Um, one of the things that I hear from both physicians and from some of our customers, I was talking to a guy out in Sedona, Arizona la- uh, a while back. And he says, he says, you know what? Fasting's hard. And there's some times when I just can't get it done. And, and I, you know, when I was living in Florida, I was in a one bedroom apartment by myself and, and I could be very selfish as to what I do. I'm back in Ohio now living with my wife. My daughter has now moved back with us. You know, she finished up her undergraduate and she's in grad school now, but she's moved back in with us. So all of a sudden I have environmental pressures my wife works in the afternoon. She goes to work about noon. She gets home about seven or eight. Um, she likes to eat dinner when she gets home at seven or eight. You know what? I'm used to intermittent fasting from 6 p.m. until noon the next day. So I go clear through the evening, wake up the next day, usually get a fasted workout in and start eating my first calories, you know, 11 o'clock or noon. Um, mm. You know what? That's hard to do when I'm home. Um, and, um, and so I'll use a supplement instead of that. I'll still fast. I'll still shift it, but I can't optimize it. Right. That's, that's really interesting. And what's interesting about what you said there too, is uh, noticing when you've stopped doing it after Mm -hmm. you, you, you've been on a protocol of doing it. That's very similar. In fact, to uh, my experience and a lot of people's experience with the HRV biofeedback that we, you know, um, advocate doing in some of our courses and that you can do through the elite HRV app, um, uh, you know, you, you start doing it, you don't necessarily see a, a huge uptick, um, in, in feel in terms of feel, but then you, you go off of it for a week as, a, as we're recording this, actually, I've, I've 
been off of my uh, HRV biofeedback protocol for for about a week, and I can certainly feel it um, at this at, at this point. And so that's really interesting that um, it's a similar uh, situation with spermidine almost ubiquitously amongst people who've been taking it. Right? Yeah, it's that aggregate aggregation of marginal gains. It's that it's that you know it's you know you pick up one or two percent along the way that doesn't have a normal that doesn't have a noticeable effect, but once that one or two percent, you pick that up thirty or forty different elements. Well, you're now you're now making a significance that when you back away from this, you really start to feel it, um, yeah. and I think this falls right into that. But but you know the again, I want to emphasize the science. We know that spermidine levels decline with age. We know that the mm-hmm. data is very clear on that. We know that spermidine is a trigger to autophagy, and we know that if you consume oral spermidine, it increases system systematic spermidine and cellular spermidine levels. Um, so that's one of the beautiful parts of this that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, there is one thing that I really, um, am, am interested in diving into, uh, I mentioned it before it's spermidine's, um, potential role in immunity and mm-hmm. for folks listening, um, that could even have implications, um, for COVID transmission and treatment. Isn't that right? Or, uh, let, let's unpack that a little bit. So, so, so from an immunity standpoint, there's no doubt that autophagy has an impact on Im- immunity. The, the data is very clear and it's even, and it's, and the, the papers are just, you know, you do a Medline search on that and they just jump out at you. Um, so autophagy is a clear part of that. Um, we actually have a paper that is going to be released uh, right after the first of the year. We expect it where we did research. Uh, a, a group did research using our product. They were supplementing human immune cells with spermidine, spermidine life. They were using our product. Um, and they saw a decrease in COVID transmission of 85, 90, 92%. Um, so, so yeah, autophagy is a legitimate immune management tool. Um, we also, we actually just closed the study. We've got a study going at the Chartonnet in, in uh, Berlin, um, and we just closed it off. The data has been closed down. We've got some very promising uh, data that's going to come out probably April, May, June, that shows that this autophagy process is lowering the impact of a lot of these neurological proteins. So the, the same proteins that lead to an Alzheimer's or to a, a, a Parkinson's, well, these are being reduced with spermidine consumption, um, which is leading to an uptake in autophagy, which is leading to a management of some of these proteins. So we're excited. We're excited about this. And, and you know, it's, I, I guess... I guess this is a place where I've learned to live that whether we're doing HRV at a cutting edge level or we're doing cannabis at a cutting edge level, or, or now I'm working with this polyamine, um, understanding it, um, there's, there's huge benefits that, that are backed by quality science. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you're talking about, uh, immunity, uh, my mind is going towards, uh, the you know the circumstances in which we're recording this podcast is like you mentioned this is December of 2020 covid is still very much um a thing mm-hmm. uh and you know what's happened during this time is that um people have retreated to their homes um uh it, it, which makes total sense mm-hmm. but it's all it is it's also created this sort of perfect environment for 
um, decreasing our resilience towards the disease in which people are staying at home. They're not getting as much exercise. Oftentimes they're not fasting. They're constantly near, you know, um, you know, their stockpiles of food probably. Um, uh, you know, I, I've heard of many, you know, anecdotes of people gaining a lot of weight during this time. Um, just probably because of that, those, the, you know, largely because of those two reasons, but maybe even stress eating as well. Um, and so they're literally becoming less resilient towards um, this this um, uh, virus, largely because of what we just talked about now, where um, they're they're decreasing the uh, natural autophagy that they would normally see. Isn't that right? Yeah, um, I'm thinking about all you just said. So I'm I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to restate it. Um, sure, for, sure. For a minute. There is no doubt that this virus has has created a great deal of fear. Sure. Um, uh, real or not, there's no doubt that it's created a great deal of fear. You know, the challenge, one of the challenges with this virus is that the fact that it's not like it's not like pneumonia that if I'm going through an airport and I see someone hacking and coughing, I, I immediately have, I immediately have information that says, yeah, stay away from that. And even if I right. get pneumonia, we now have, we have mechanisms for managing that. Um, mm-hmm. the, the challenge with this virus is the fact that you can be, you can be spreading the virus and be t- completely asymptomatic. So, so we have Absolutely. to be, we have to be very careful. Number one, number two is, there is that I, I believe the data is very clear that um, those that have uh, poor metabolic health um, are more susceptible to the virus and its impact than those who don't. Um, sure. And and unfortunately, this translates to low socioeconomic socioeconomic populations, which are largely black and brown populations um, that are suffering from this the most. Um we we we're not just dealing we knew we had a metabolic pandemic years ago this is just a metabolic pandemic that's being interfaced with a covid pandemic that's that's causing a great deal of problems for 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 a for a certain group of people um right. and this is the in in the in the challenges if you're listening to this what do we do you know when when this pandemic first came out you know i'm a big dude um you know i'm i'm 6 feet tall i weigh about 280 pounds um i i'm i'm insulin i'm an insulin resistant type 2 diabetic so i'm constantly manage managing that and i looked at the profiles of people that were not doing well with um with covid and i thought well you know what you better be careful here um and and so I, I took a lot of very specific, um, uh, I made I made a lot of very specific decisions at, when it came to managing this particular problem. Um, Absolutely. At which, you know what? I ratcheted down my exercise. I probably doubled. I I I cut my zone four and zone five by twenty, you know, to twenty percent of what it was. I moved that exercise town down into zone two and I did it with no guilt. Okay. You know, a lot of times if you don't feel like you're, you're leaving the gym with a puddle next to you, you feel, you you know, there might be a guilt response. Well, that's, that's no longer the case. We can move beyond that. Um, so, so, you know, the, the, the challenges that we have is that 
autophagy, you know, you and I talked about this before we started the podcast. Most of our nutritional recommendations link a nutrient to a particular physiological response. Uh, if you don't take vitamin C, you get scurvy. If you don't take vitamin and, and, and down, you know, down the line. So there's something associated with it. There was a medical condition that was associated with a lack of a nutrient in a diet. And they figured out what that was. And that's where the recommendation comes from. Well, what we're finding now is that with autophagy, autophagy is a necessary cellular process, in particular, when it comes to the management of immunity. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, but there's not a nutrient uh, until spermidine. You know, listen, you can, you can achieve autophagy with fasting. So the elimination, calorie restriction, you trigger autophagy, you upregulate uh, an, a, a, autophagy, and you upregulate immunity. Um, so you can do that on your own. What we've just found, and again, the work that that, that uh, Frank Medeo has done at the University of Graz has identified, well, it looks like one of those micronutrients may be this molecule spermidine, uh, and, and that's what we do. Right. That makes perfect sense. Um, that makes perfect sense. And it's really exciting what you're working on uh, in, in that regard, because it's uh, very applicable to, to these times, but it's also applicable to the future and just, you know, maintaining a, a healthy metabolism. And it's really exciting work. Um, yeah. So uh, I think it's really great. Um, Don, I think we're running out of time here. Um, you know, you and I could talk for forever, uh, as you and I bo both know. But um, is there anything else you want to add um, before I kind of close us out here? No. Well, uh, listen, I'll close it with this is that, you know, I went through a, I went through a situation in my life, uh, back in 2017 and 18 where I was, you know what? The universe forced me out of a position that I freaking loved. I mean, you know, I loved going into school and working with those athletes and we were doing great work and my work was being picked up by elite military groups. And, and, and I thought, and I thought to myself, you know, this is, this is great, but you know what? The universe said, Nope, you're going to go do something else. And, um, and I had to figure out a way to deal with that personally. And that's where I shifted to mission-driven versus vocationally driven, uh, defining myself that way. So, you know, I, I guess I guess the thing I'd like to pass along from a professional standpoint, you know, if you're out there and you're struggling with this, I know it's hard. I know that when all of a sudden a door closes, you're so used to looking at that door, it's so hard to pick your head up and look around. But for me, and using a mission-driven uh, process in my life, I've I now find the open doors, and oh my God, they've been cool, um, and it's been exciting. And I get to come talk to you about new stuff that that uh, contribute to the betterment of well people. I love that. That should be such an encouragement to our audience in in, in multiple ways, right? Not just about spermidine, and not just about you know cannabis, but also just you know on a more um, psychological level for those of us who are going through hard times right now. So it can be challenging, but there's, there's, there's going to be a door open. Um, and you've, you've got to be able to get your head up and find it. Absolutely. So, um, the show notes for this episode, uh, can be found at elitehrv.com forward slash podcast. Don, thanks so much again for coming on the show. Where can folks find out more about you and the, and the work you're doing um, that we've talked about here today? So you can find more about Spermidine at Spermidine Life. It's spermidinelife.us. Uh, if you go to .com, you'll go to our European site. .us is the American site. Um, I would encourage you, we have created a site that's called longevitybioresearch.org. 
I'll repeat that, longevitybioresearch.org. So when we find good information, uh, you know, I've got a, you know, my my stack of papers on my desk have gone from HRV to cannabis now to to longevity and, and autophagy. But, um, but when we see good stuff, we're putting it up there. So if you've got questions, oh, and the other thing too, Jeff, um, if someone, if a listener of Elite HRV would like to try um, Spermidine, uh, go to spermidinelife.us, uh, order it, for, go into the store and use the discount code HRV50, HRV50, and that'll get you half off your first purchase. Excellent. That would be so great. Um, 50% off guys. That's a, that's a great deal. Um, so Don, thanks so much again. Um, and thanks so much to everyone listening to this episode of the late HRV podcast. It's been a real pleasure hosting, uh, until next time. Thanks Jeff. We'll see you.